if, all right, last week we began and did part one of the book of Revelation as we're going through a study. And if you haven't, if you, if you haven't heard it, I have it up on the podcast and you can go back and listen to it. We're just chronologically going through it. So if you feel like if you've missed something, you probably have. So go, go back and listen to it and track along with us. It'll help a lot. But I will do just a little bit of recap and perhaps just a little bit of introduction of why we're doing this again for those who don't know. So, uh, we're going to go, we're going through the book of Revelation, and then we're following along with the study of Brian Simmons, who's the interpreter and translator of the Passion Translation, and uh, he talks about, as he went through and translated Revelation, and, and uh, went through and goes through all the words, and it's really, really, really fascinating, and even is different understanding to those that usually do. Uh, the very reason that he started translating the Bible is because Jesus walked through his wall into his room and told him to do it. He uh, helped translate new languages and the Bible in South America, and so he was kind of already into the linguistics stuff. But I really, really enjoy his perspective and his understanding, and he's bringing even more light to the Word. I, I, as we were worshiping, I was just looking up at these chandeliers and those crystals, and they've all got all the different sides and all the different colors come through it. And I'm like, that, that is just, that, that reminds me of the Word so much. And is, I think Tess is the one that coined the Word. It's like prismatic. Right? It's like charismatic, but she's like, it's prismatic. Like there's all, it's, it's a prism and there's different things and there's different sides and there's different facets. And so we're going through understanding different uh, facets and just all the sparkling glory of God's word. And so I'm going through Revelation because it's so much greater and more beautiful than anything that we've ever been told. And just to give you the introduction for those who haven't heard and those who have, I'll just say it again. I'm getting pretty good at repeating this thing. Uh, I believe that, that the interpretation of the revelation, of the book of Revelation, doesn't fully capture the essence of who God is accurately. Because I have, I have a few issues with it but I believe that it's so much greater than anything we could ever imagine. Because John, who wrote everything down in this book, also wrote that perfect love casts out fear, right? And then he's going to go and he's going to write this book that inspires fear and uh, uh, all the other facets, fear and, and terror and, and hiding out in the bush and trying to survive and all, all these different most Christians read it and they're either terrified of it or they just get all scared and run away and go, oh my gosh, like we got to, you know, uh, stock up on food and everything because it's just going to be terrible and everything's going to get so bad and then Jesus will come fix it. Right? That's the general kind of 
what happens with Revelation. But I propose that that doesn't line up with the other 65 books in the Bible. Think about this. He says that the kingdom is righteousness, peace, and joy. That's the kingdom. And so if you're going to actually read the word in a kingdom lens, it, the, everything should always inspire righteousness, upstanding, truthful, peace of God that surpasses understanding, and joy that excites you with hope. But when you read Revelation through the basic understanding of what we have today, it doesn't inspire those things. It doesn't make sense for the character of God. And so, as we're going through this, I'm proposing that we look at this through a different understanding and a different interpretation of going, this is actually Jesus. This is actually revealing Jesus to us. This is actually making us excited for him. This is revealing who we are inside of him. And it is actually a beautiful revelation. Because verse 1, chapter 1, verse 1, tells you what the whole book is about. It says, this is the revelation of Jesus Christ. Or in the Passion, another word is, this is the unveiling of Jesus. So, it tells you, if anybody goes, oh, well, you know, Revelation's about the Antichrist, or Revelation's about the Mark of the Beast, or Revelation's about the end times, no, verse 1 says, this is about Jesus. It's about showing Jesus to us. And, the, and, and we even get into it, and it's actually Jesus' own revelation of who he was, and because we're created in his image now, it's a revelation of us. And that's why he gave it to us, because he says, well, it's yours now, because we're brothers, and you're my bride, and you're my kings, and him, you're my priests. And so he says, I'm going to give it to you too. And so this is the problems that I have. I'll just, we're going to, as I run through this introduction, just real quickly, this is the problem that I have with Revelation, of what we've understood so far, is that we've literalized something Jesus meant to be taken in a form that would take a reality. Jesus is going, I'm going to take the reality of heaven in the spirit realm, and I'm going to put it in language for you to understand, and it's going to be the revelation of who I am. But we've taken something that wasn't meant to be that way, and we've literalized it. Because it gets us in trouble. If you literalize something that is supposed to be spirit, and you only interpret it in flesh, you'll mess everything up. Right? Because why did Jesus get put on the cross? Why did Jesus get put on the cross? One of the main big no-nos was, he said, destroy this temple and I'll rebuild it in three days. And that was heresy. Oh my gosh, you can't do that. It took us, you know, 40-something years to build this temple and stuff. Is that the Pharisees who took everything absolutely literal, absolutely straightforward, didn't understand what Jesus was saying because he was revealing something in spirit to them. He was revealing something in sod form, which is a way of interpreting. Anyways, we'll get into that. But he was going, no. In Matthew, it says that Jesus always spoke in parables. His preferred teaching style was parables, pictures, and images. When you, and think about it, God hasn't stopped doing that because when you dream, what do you dream in? You dream in pictures and images and weird things, and you're like, I wake up and you just go, oh my gosh, I don't know what that was. 
And it's because he, and, but he's still speaking to us. A third of the Bible was spoken through dreams, and it was pictures and his images and interpreting these things. And you wake up and you go, I have no idea what that means. But God's going to reveal it to me through revelation, which is sod, right? And so he's still speaking to us today in that same way. Because heaven is like, how am I going to show you something that you can't fully understand? I'll put it in images that still apply the same message. And so Jesus would hide truth in parables and in these things. And he says, if you've got ears to hear, you've got ears to hear, if you're listening with your spiritual ears, you'll get this. But the Pharisees and Sadducees, the brainiacs of the day, missed the first coming of the Messiah because they didn't understand how to listen with their spiritual ears. They didn't understand what he was doing. Heck, the disciples, one of their big holdbacks, Dawson and I were just talking about this week, their big holdback was, they're going, I'm pretty sure this is the Messiah. I'm pretty sure this is the Messiah. But they kept looking for Elijah. They said, what about Elijah? What about, he hasn't come. And he goes, guys, the spirit of Elijah was on John the Baptist. He already came. Oh, yeah, that makes sense, right? But they were going, where's Elijah? They were looking for Elijah, you know, is that they were trying to literalize something that Jesus is saying, man, you guys got to get a new mind. You've got to have the mind of Christ to get this because he's the word that became flesh. And when he spoke, it became spirit. So you have to, the, only the spirit of the man knows the heart of the man. Therefore, you have to interpret the spirit by the same spirit. Everybody got that? Good. So he's going, you've got to listen with the mind of Christ on what I'm saying. And I teach in parables and pictures. And so in Revelation... What if we look at Revelation and we say, what if this is the biggest parable that we've all missed? Because here's my big problem with the interpretation with a lot of Revelation. Here, here one of my big problems. This, think about this. this. This gets me. So the same people throughout history that have read Revelation and looked at it. Think about this. The same guys that read the other 65 books in the Bible read it all through, and with their perspective of God, they go, well, God doesn't heal. The apostles ended when they all died. Prophets aren't real. The fivefold's not real. He does even, the, they go as far as going, God doesn't even speak today. Those are the same men that read the Bible, the rest of the 65 books in the Bible, and came up with those conclusions, which we reject because it's stupid. But we're going to take their understanding of Revelation. Right? I'm going, we're, we're using outdated uh, uh, software here. These same guys were like, oh no, God doesn't heal today. And they read the Gospels. Because here's the problem. The translators of the Bible are going to translate their perspective of God that they have. Because yes, you get a Hebrew or Greek word, and there could be 50 different meanings to it, right? Because it's such grand and big. But here's the deal. They can extrude from that. They go, well, you know, God's angry at people, and he, and he just wants people to, you know, he's really mad at people, but by golly, Jesus got in the way. And so they, when they read it, they will extrude that kind of understanding of God through their interpretation. And that's what Brian Simmons talks about. He goes, Dude, we got, we got people translating that think God is angry at them. 
and they don't understand that God loves them, and they're translating it through their, their idea. So the same people are walking through Revelation and going, oh yeah, he's going to kill a billion people before he comes for his bride. That makes sense. Oh yeah, he's totally, you know, he's going he's gonna to turn all, all the water to blood and all this stuff like that. That's, that's what's going to happen because, you know, they're going to take their understanding of God. And, and then you get into, and then it, when you get into actually understanding Revelation, they go, okay, we're going to take everything literal. So here's our problem. So in Jewish tradition for ugh, thousands of years, they, they, have ba- they, they, they say, they go, there's four basic ways of reading the word and getting into it, right? And, there's, and they have an acronym for it, and it basically means garden, but whatever. Anyways, there's Peshat, which means plain and simple, direct meaning, right? You go, which is good. You should always... If it says that it can be done, then it can be done, right? We take direct, literal meaning of things in the word. That's Peshat understanding. It's like putting different glasses on with different colors, right? So you go, that's our Peshat of the word. You go through, you get the literal, that's what it means. You get the Ramez. It's, him, it's little hints, it's little symbols, it's little uh, things that reoccur kind of through there. And they, they line up like numbers and, you know, all that stuff, how people do that. And there's Duresh, which is inquire or to seek it's sim- it's it's this similar occurrence thing it's the uh there's so much there's a big explanation for each one of these understandings but and then the last understanding of that they would walk through is sod it's the secret or mystery agnotic given through uh revelation or inspiration it's basically jesus often spoke in a way that you would understand in sod, right? Like the parables, and then he would explain the kingdom. He goes, it, it's, the, it's, looking, it's looking at the mysteries in the Bible. 28 times in the Gospels, the word, there's a special word for mystery of nobody knows what this is, and Jesus talked about mystery. There's so much mystery in the kingdom, because if there's no mystery, then the kingdom's too small for us, right? And so... This is actually looking at Revelation with a sod idea. Now, do I think there's probably a literal definition? I would, there's probably, God's big enough that he can, he does both, right? You know what I mean? It's probably a literal, but the literal that we have right now, I don't see producing the correct fruit in its people. I'm just saying, you, you will know them by their fruit. And the fruit that I see when people read it is they either go, all right, we're going to buy a lot of ammo and guns, and we're going to, I don't know why that's so important to them, but anyways... <laughs> You know, well, I'm, I'm totally for ammos and guns. I mean, we might have to, you know, there might be a revolution. But I'm just saying, for the fact of, I'm like, if I'm going to die, I'm going to die going out for Jesus. But a lot of people are just like, fear, oh man, the end times are going to be terrible, all this stuff like that. And so, it's, uh, I don't, I'm not getting it, you know. But, all that to say, what if, no, not what if. Brian Simmons makes a statement, I totally agree with it, that he says, the book of Revelation will be the most beloved and cherished book of the last day's church because it's actually going to reveal Jesus to us and what we are in him. And so, and this is the last thing I'm going to say. Revelation, in the under, as we walk through it and we look at the pictures and the images of how it's, how it's actually revealing the kingdom of which we can't fully see in a pattern in which we can, we will interpret it 
through the rest of the book. This is a really important part. Listen to me on this. The other 65 books in the Bible will help you understand this one. We're not going to make up ideas of what we think they are. We're not going to just pull something out of our butt of, yeah, this is what it is. But no, this is why the Old Testament is so important. Because it already gives us all the pictures. It already gives us the images. It already shows us the patterns. It already shows us in the way he does things. You, you used the rest of the book to understand this part. That seems like God, doesn't it? Right? You don't make up things. Because here's my, the, my problem is, is that interpreters and people have come through and they've read it. And they go, well, yeah, I mean, there's going to be locusts the size of Volkswagens. But then they'll read about the lamb that's got seven eyes and ten horns, and it looks like it's been slain, but it's not. And they go, well, that's Jesus. They understand that that's a picture, but they don't understand that the, the locust is the size of a Volkswagen isn't. You know what I mean? I'm just saying is that, and yes, they have tried to go through and kind of take other pictures. They go, well, you know, a third of the fish dying in the ocean, that's probably nuclear bombs, and then the, the locusts are probably big helicopters. You know, they're making them like that nowadays, and I don't know if I'm the only person that heard these, but anyways, you know, and they talk about these things, and oh, there's probably going to be a nuclear war, and this is what happened. Oh, and this is China, and this is Russia, and blah, 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 all these things, but here's the thing. Yeah, if they, are they, if they go, well, yeah, we understand it's pictures and images, but if they are still using the old mindset of, well, God's angry and he's like, you know, going to come after people and, you know, all these people are going to die on the way to the bridegroom wedding, you know, and stuff like that, then they're just going to translate in that camp and that understanding. And if you just go, you know what, that doesn't actually line up with the other 65 books in the Bible of who God is. And if we come over here and go, no, it's actually, it's actually about Jesus and it's actually that he loves his church and that he's jealous for his bride. And what if... In the rest of the Bible, locusts is actually a symbol for an opposing religious spirit. And what if the sea is an image of the sea of humanity and man that rises up out of the sea is that old man, Adam, and that the judgments on the earth are actually on the judgments of the old man, Adam, that he's going, that's dead. I'm killing that off and I'm raising up a new bride and I'm riding on my horse to come get her. And I'm going to reveal that. That I'm not, I'm not going to come on fluffy little clouds, but I'm actually going to be revealed inside of my people because I have literally put my throne inside of them and that all of heaven is waiting for the sons of God to be revealed on this earth. Right? So what if it's actually the most beautiful, exciting thing because you get to see Jesus and then you go, oh my gosh, I'm created in his image. That means I get to be that too. And, and the, la the last thing is, First uh, John, was it? I have it written down, but in First John it says, As he is, so are we in heaven. I went to this earth. As he is, so, we, so are we on the earth. You guys know that verse, right? The cool thing is, this is what's so exciting, this is why we've got to read Revelation and get a hold of this, is because it doesn't say, as he was when he was on this earth, that's how you're going to be. It's actually saying, as he currently is, then that's who you're created to be. So the thing is this, this is what's so exciting. 
Jesus glorified with all authority and all of power, seated at the right hand of God, victorious Jesus. He says, as he is, so are you to the earth. That's the, like, even if we were just as he was when he walked the earth, that would have been exciting. But as he currently is in heaven, that's pretty flippin' awesome. Therefore, there's not a book that actually tells us and gives us a full revelation of who that Jesus is. But then Jesus said, well, I'll tell you what I look like now and what I'm doing right now and what you look like right now so that you get a hold of it. So it's pretty exciting. Now, there's a lot more I could go on that. But that's, that's where we're coming from. And, you know, if you're hearing it for the first time or, or even for the third time, you might be going, I don't get it. That's okay. Just um, bear with me and keep your mind open and humble. And let's just let God, if it's not true, he'll just deal with it. And if it is true, then it'll set our spirits on fire. It'll be exciting, right? Right? So, right. Last time, we began in chapter 1, and we walked through, and there are so many exciting things. Go back and listen to the podcast. So I'm I'm just, I'm not going to get distracted. Did, okay, how far did I make it? Did I go, did I make it to the golden sash and... Okay, yeah, that's right. Because he says, I'm the Aleph and the Tav, uh, who was and was, who is and is to come. And then I stopped. Right? No, I didn't make it to that part. Talk about Patmos and stuff like that. I hadn't got to that yet. Okay, good. That's what I thought, but I was making sure. So, quick review. Verse 1. This is the unveiling of Jesus. Just keep that in your mind. Whenever you read the book, how is this unveiling Jesus, right? And uh, this is actually a letter. uh, This is actually, if you read the pattern, it was actually the revelation that Jesus got from God and then gave it to an angel, and then angel gave it to John, and John sent it out. Okay? Uh, And the uh, important part is... When you read this book, not just read, but it actually says remember and even tend to the truth of this book, there's a blessing. That's an important fact. There is a blessing on this book. There is a blessing on the reality that this thing reveals to us. There is blessing with it. And I I was thinking about that today, and I was like, oh my gosh, of course there's blessing with it. Think about it. If it's the unveiling of Jesus, and it says when you read this book, and that actually means to tend a garden, that means to you work it. You work it. And I was like, wait a minute, you're working a garden? That means you're, oh my gosh, it's working out your salvation, right? If you're working out your salvation, then that means Christ is being enthroned in your life, and you're being created in the image of him, and of course there's blessings with that. Because you're actually becoming into the image of Jesus. And he's saying, this is the image of Jesus. And so when you actually tend the garden of this word, you are blessed. It's exciting. And then it says that the appointed time is in your hands when you're going to get this revelation. Right? And so uh, John is writing to the seven churches in Turkey. And we'll get into those letters. Uh, We talk about the seven spirits that are before the throne. And 
uh, behold, he's appearing within the clouds. And then, yeah, verse 8, uh, uh, I'm the olive and the tov, says the Lord, who is, who was, and who is to come. So, we begin in verse 9. And I'm just, I'll read here a little while, and then we'll kind of go back over it. So I, John, am your brother and companion in tribulation and the kingdom and the patience that are found in Jesus. I was exiled on the island of Patmos because of the ministry of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. I was in the spirit realm on the Lord's day, and I heard behind me a loud voice sounding like a trumpet saying to me, write in a book what you see and send it to the seven churches to Ephesus, to Smyrna, Pergamum, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, and Laodicea. I'm going to stop right there. Let's just kind of work, walk through it. I, John, am your brother and companion in tribulation, the kingdom and the patience that are found in Jesus. So that's just, um, it's kind of interesting. Let me give some background as we begin. John is exiled to the island of Patmos. And the island of Patmos is a uh, Roman penal colony. It's a small, rocky island. There's really nothing to it. Okay? It wasn't super exciting. And what Patmos means is my killing. So John is writing, this is what's fun, John is on the place of my killing. And he gets this joyous revelation of who Jesus is. And, and he talks about, he says, I'm with you guys in tribulation, but I'm with you in the kingdom. And, that, and it's this whole idea of everyone goes through tribulation. One, we go through tribulation, which also can just mean pressure. We go through the pressure of being conformed into the image of Christ. And we also go through tribulation pressure from the world. And he's saying, I'm with you guys in this tribulation. I'm in the place of my killing, and I, but I'm with you in the kingdom, and we're all part of this family. And, he, and, he, and uh, it's so exciting because, you know, we remember that Jesus died once and for all. He went through our killing, right? But it is in the place of our killing that releases the revelation of Jesus. It is the letting that die and the new life that comes from that releases the revelation. J John laid his head on Jesus, and Jesus went through his killing. And now he, John's saying, I've been exiled to the place of my killing, but in the place of my killing comes revelation. And so he's saying, and so at Patmos, he's writing a letter to the seven churches. And we're going to go through the... the Jesus addresses these seven churches individually, and there's four different like, understandings of uh, what they can mean for us today, and we'll get into that. But he's addressing these seven churches, and they get these letters. And I think, wouldn't it be so exciting if one day we came to church and we went, hey, guys, guess what? Jesus sent us a letter. Because <laughs> really, that's what it's like. Jesus goes, okay, tell this church. This is what I say. This is what I think about it. So they literally came to church, and the pastor is like, guess what? We got a letter from Jesus. We're going to sit down and read it. Like, that would just be slightly exciting, I thought. But anyways, maybe not. So, um, 
da, 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 I was in the spirit realm on the Lord's day. And so, uh, obviously, it's not actually, like when they say Lord's day, it's not actually Sunday. Every day is the Lord's day, right? But uh, he says, I was in the spirit on the Lord's day. Probably what happened in, in this experience is that he says, I was in the spirit on the Lord's day, and then he heard a voice behind me, and he turned. And that turned, well, uh, well that turned actually means uh, um, converted. And it's the same word they use in Acts when they're telling everybody to be, be repent and be uh, converted. It literally means to be like taken from one place to another, transformed, you know, it's that whole thing. He says, I turned. He says, I was actually converted. I went through a transformation. So John actually probably got this revelation through a trance or a vision or something like that because he was in the spirit he was talking about. Uh, I was in the spirit, or it says to came in the spirit or came to the spirit. And let's see. And behind me, a loud voice sounding like a trumpet, probably like a shofar saying to me, and he says, write to the seven, the, the seven churches. Okay? So I'm going to move on into 12. When I turned, and that is, uh, this is more than a physical turning like I was talking about. It is an inward turning to withdraw from the natural and the spiritual. The Greek word is the same word used converted in Acts 3.19. When I turned to see the voice that was speaking to me, I saw seven golden lampstands. And walking among the lampstands, I saw someone like the Son of Man wearing a full-length robe with a golden sash over his chest. So this is interesting. So imagine this. Let me paint the picture. As he goes into the, he says, I'm in the spirit, and then he hears his trumpet, and it's like a voice like a trumpet, and I turn, and he, he goes into another realm. Because, and we'll even see here, he goes into the lampstand realm and he sees these things and he sees the Son of Man and he describes all these things. And then after that, he actually turns and goes through a door into the throne room, into a different realm. And so he turns and he goes in and he sees, all, and he sees these lampstands and he sees, he says, the Son of Man walking up among the lampstands. Now, we know that this is Jesus because here in a second he tells us, but this is what's interesting. John walked with Jesus on earth for three and a half years. But he had never seen this Jesus before. He didn't actually recognize him at first. He says, it's a son of man. But what's interesting is he's going, it's a son of man. This is what's also cool. That means he was human. A human rules the galaxy. Oh God, Anthony's going into heresy. I mean... But Jesus still has the holes in his hands and his feet. He still looks like a human, but now he's in the Trinity. He, he said, I didn't set my, I, I didn't become a man and then go back in his spirit. He said, I became a man, but I'm exalted and glorified now. And, he, and John goes, oh my gosh, there's a, a man walking towards me. And, and he, as he talks about him and describes him, it's actually in Daniel, it's the Ancient of Days. It's the same picture. Daniel is quoted in Revelation more than any book in the Bible. Um, and so, 
he turns and he sees Jesus walking among the lampstands. And it says, seven golden lampstands. And we were just talking about that he's sending a letter to seven different churches, right? And then he turns and he sees seven golden lampstands. And he walking among, he's walking among the lampstands wearing a full-length robe. That would be the priestly robe. Because what the priests would wear was a full length, all the way down to the ground, full length robe. It was a priestly robe. And this is what's cool. One of the jobs as a priest is you would go into the temple and you would fill the oil up in the menorah, in the lampstand. That was one of the jobs as a priest. You would actually go in and you would fill it up and it would keep the fire burning. And so he's painting an image is that Jesus is walking through his lampstands and, and John would have known what a priest gown would have looked like. As he's walking through, he's going, oh, he's filling them with oil. He's doing his duties as a priest because Jesus is the high priest, right? Okay, and there's more about that, but I don't want to get into it too early. So he said he's walking with full and groom. And this is the fun part, with a golden sash over his chest. The Greek word for chest here is mastos, M-A-S-T-O-S, and is used exclusively for a woman's breast. <laughs> I love doing that one. So, the, this is what's fun about Revelation. Scholars, when they read Revelation, are so confused because the gender pronouns are constantly mixed. Sometimes it's female, sometimes it's male. It's constantly back and forth. And many scholars have proposed that the transcripts are wrong because why would you mess up the gender? But what they don't realize is that Adam and Eve were both created in the image of God. Shocker, women are created in the image of God. Whoa, that's a breakthrough thought. <laughs> I thought they were made from a rib. Anyways. <laughs> John constantly, actually, and we'll see it uh, later on when he talks about wisdom, it's in the feminine verb, or a feminine noun. It's, a, it's, a, it's, it's lady wisdom. It's a feminine word. Holy Spirit is actually used feminine in uh, a lot of the New uh, Testament. But so this is what it's saying. You may be going, oh, Jesus doesn't have breasts. What's wrong with you? But think about it, okay? He's going, don't get weird with me. He what, why, okay, it's pictures, it's images. He's going, well, I can't, I, I gotta show them how I feel towards them and how I act towards them. And everybody knows the woman's breast, it reveals, it's the, it's the heart of a woman. It's the, the nurturing, it's the loving, it's the caring, it's the feeding, it's that love of a mother, it's that love. God created women as an image. He's got the same kind of feelings and personalities women do too. And this is what he's painting the picture. Jesus in his priestly robe, walking amongst his lampstands. And he's showing that I'm filling you with oil with my love, that I love to nurture you and I love to be with you and I love to teach you. And I love that kind of, that's how he, that is how he looks and feels towards his church. And so the golden sash is the purity. The golden sash is compassionate love for his bride. 
The Aramaic can be translated between his breasts, a golden harness. It was made of pure gold. For the divine nature holds everything together. It's that gold purity sash that comes between the love towards his people. It's pure love. Right? Walking among his lampstands. Um, and then we go into, it talks about his hair and his eyes and all those fun things. But before I go that far, so let's also talk about the lampstand. The lampstand would be the menorah because it was in the temple. And we are, and we are the temple. Right? And it would be the menorah. This is what's cool. The menorah was called a beaten work. Jesus was a beaten work for us, right? He's called a beaten work. And the menorah was made out of one solid piece of gold, beaten into its formation, which is absolutely incredible. It was been quite large, solid gold, so it's pure and reflective. And it would have one main shaft in the middle and three branches on either side, right? And on those branches, right? So Jesus is the... Jesus is the vine. We are the branches, right? Jesus is the middle. We are the branches. With the middle shaft, it was created where you would pour the oil in the middle shaft and it would actually flow to the other six and it would keep all of them burning. So Jesus is, it's, when we work in anointing, we're working in Jesus' anointing. It is his job to keep his anointing on his church. But the problem is this. Later on in one of the letters, he says, careful, he's telling them, you guys better, you got some problems here, you got some stuff here, careful, or I, or I will remove your lampstand. And what did a lampstand do? It, it, it brought light to where it was. It's a place of influence. It's a place of revelation. It, we are a light. We are a city on a hill, right? And he's saying, but careful, I will actually remove your lampstand. I'll remove your influence. I'll remove your light. And if he removes that, where's his anointing going to go? And so it was his job to act. His, his, Jesus actually anoints his church with his presence. And, that's, and this is what's so cool. You read that one little thing. Oh, there's lampstands. But then you think about it. Oh, my gosh. It's his presence that sets us on fire and that burns that the world may see. We are a light, but we burn in the presence and the anointing of Jesus. And that's how we illuminate the world. That's why presence is so important to us. And so, and then let's get into some more fun on that. On each branch. All right, so you got the picture, right? Three, menorah. On each branch, there was... I hammered it into it, however they did it. Three sequences of bud, blossom, fruit. Three times. So it would be bud, blossom, fruit, bud, blossom, fruit, bud, blossom, fruit. Right? What's three times three? Nine. Nine fruit of the Spirit. Right? Because we're connected to Jesus. And when you're connected to Jesus, you actually have the fruit of the Spirit. That it grows inside of you. And it buds and it blossoms and it fruits. Three times, right? You got fruit of the Spirit. But then the main shaft had it four times. Bud, blossom, fruit, bud, blossom, fruit, bud, blossom, fruit, bud, blossom, fruit. Three times four, 12. Apostolic anointing, right? Jesus is the chief apostle, and he had the apostolic anointing 
that all of it flows from him. Right? Because remember, the middle anointing feeds the other ones. It's Jesus with the apostolic anointing. So then, now take that. You have 999129999. How many is that? 66. 66 books in the Bible. We're the lampstand. We're the church. So what are we? We bond anointing and spirit and word together. Because we have the fruit of the spirit. And then we have the word, the 66 books of the Bible. We are the church. And that is the whole revelation of we are to, this, to the world. I think that's exciting. <laughs> okay. Um, yeah. I was looking for my, I would draw it, but I don't know where they went. Uh, it has carved into it would have been a bud and a blossom and a fruit, right? And that sequence happened three times on one arm. Three, six, nine, right? One, two, three, four, five. Okay? That sequence happened three times. And then the main shaft, that sequence happened four times. Yeah, and so it's 12. So that's the apostolic anointing. That's the 12. And then 999129999. That's 66. I checked it just in case. It is 66. <laughs> I was like, <laughs> really? <laughs> oh, yeah, it's, uh, yeah, that's actually 66. 66 books in the Bible. Spirit and truth, right? Isn't that fun? We worship Him, Spirit and truth, because we're the church. And we are actually the formation of the bringing together of that. Super good. Okay, so that is the image. So that's the churches are the lampstands, and Jesus is ministering to his churches. So we're in this realm. We're in the lampstand realm of showing how Jesus deals with his church. We will later see how he deals with his bride, how he looks in the throne room, right? Because this is the revelation of Jesus. So it's actually unveiling Jesus to us. So right now he's showing you how he works with his church. The letters will even help how he communicates to the church. It's all painting that picture with that love and tenderness. Let's continue on. Let's go into 14. This goes into the description of what he looks like. His head and his hair were white like wool, white as glistening snow, and his eyes were flames of fire. His feet were gleaming like bright metal, as though they were glowing in fire, and his voice was like the roar of many rushing waters. Let's just hold up there a second. So, the head is the headship. It speaks of Jesus' authority. White speaks of righteousness of God and an emblem of his wisdom, omniscience, justice, and leadership. This is similar to Daniel 7, 9, which equate Jesus with the Ancient of Days. So if you read Daniel 7, 9, it, it talks about his hair and his feet and everything. It's like a perfect image of it. So a... Uh, a Jewish person reading the book of Revelation, a lot of it would make sense to them. Because if they'd read the Torah, and if they had 
read these other books, they would have gone, oh, that's the Ancient of Days, right? And we'll get into other things. All the pictures and images, a person with a Jewish mindset would understand this book better than us because we don't have the right mindset. There, it talks about the, the four beasts that hold up the, you know, there's the, uh, the human and uh, the lion and the ox and the uh, eagle and all that stuff like that. They would have recognized those because that would have been on uh, a banner, a flag around the um, tabernacle in the desert. So these things they would have caught and that it would have made sense to them. You can't read, you can't read this with a Greek mindset which the Western world, mostly that's kind of what we have. You've got to go back to a Jewish mindset, to, to uh, the Hebraic understanding. Anyways, so, uh, and his eyes were like flames of fire, which again is Daniel 10, uh, 6. Now, I talked about that last time, and I just want to hit that again because it's so, so important that this is, if you look at this and you go, you know, everybody who paints a picture of Jesus in this time, they go, ah, oh, he's got flames of fire, and it's like angry, and it's freaky, and it's like, ah, he's going to burn us up just by looking at us, right? And you're like, ah, like going to melt your flesh off, you know, it's Jesus, right? But it, it just says flames of fire, okay? <laughs> and here's the thing. You just saw Jesus walking through his churches with breasts that show that he loves them in that compassionate sort of way and then you're going to put eyes on him that want to burn your flesh off it, it's not no see our understanding is wrong and perverted because like i talked about before the two understandings of fire we've got okay here's a big forest fire that kills all the cute little squirrels and all the bunny rabbits and everything and we're like it's terrible right <laughs> and then there's the the the, the romantic crackling fire in the fireplace, right? And you're eat, drinking hot cocoa or something, and there's a couple sitting there, and you can see the flames of fire in their eyes slowly just dancing before them with the little sparks that fly up, and, and it's just, they're beautiful. It creates the image, and you know, and you put some romantic music in the background, and you're like, this is awesome, right? Fire, they're both fire. So which kind of fire is in his eyes? It's not the, the little rabbit squirrel burning to death kind of fire. It's the, it's the, this is my love. This is my bride. This is my romantic burning. This is, imagine, passion. Oh, I love her so much. I'm passionately burning of fire. That's why his eyes shine that way, because they burn like that when he's looking at us. Okay? So change your image. Start to create a new image of Jesus. He's walking through his church and he's like, ah, oh, I love them so much and I burn for passion for them and I have white hair that is my righteousness and my wisdom that I can help them and my feet are burnished. Okay, the bronze. Let's get to that. His feet were gleaming like bright metal as though they were glowing in fire. Okay? Uh, you can look at uh, Psalms 29, Ezekiel 1, and 43. Oh, that's wrong. <laughs> Is that wrong? That's for waters. I'm re I'm, I was, my notes on the waters. Oh, here we go. Never mind. Don't read those. I'm just kidding. That's for waters. Uh, no, 
the burnished uh, brass or fine brass. Um, oh, what's interesting about this is that the uh, Greek is somewhat confusing on the feminine noun or the genitive case. So it's, you don't really know which gender this is supposed to be. Uh, but the Aramaic can be translated the brass of Lebanon. Lebanon was known for the quality of fine brass. Brass is a biblical symbol of passing through judgment. Jesus went through judgment for our sins, and with feet on fire, he is now kindling fires wherever he walks. And, uh, and then, but you can read Ezekiel 1.27 or Daniel 3.25 on the feet. So, again, it's painting all these images. These are all, like, this is going to paint a really weird picture of Jesus, but in reality, he's going, well, this is how he feels towards his church, so this is the image that I'll bring, and this is how I see them, so this is the image that I'll bring. And it's paint, each, each understanding, each thing paints a picture. It actually helps us to understand him. Uh and his voice was like the roar of many rushing waters. His right hand held seven stars, and out of his mouth was a sharp double-edged sword. And his face was shining like the brightness of the blinding sun. So his voice was strong and powerful of many rushing waters. And uh, waters are often emblematic of multitudes of people. It is not simply a voice of water, but the voice of many sons coming to his likeness and his right hand held seven stars we get into what the seven stars are and what they mean and out of his mouth was a sharp double-edged sword again don't don't paint that into a weird creepy image people do that that's messed up this is jesus right is that again everything all of these words are ways of revealing to us the way that he relates to us and so he's going, it's a double-edged sword. What do we know the double-edged sword is? It's his word. It is a metaphor for his word. The message of Revelation comes as a sword from the mouth of Jesus. And the Aramaic can actually be translated, a fervent spirit came from his mouth. So it's that fervent power that comes. The word is power, and it's the sword that it's actually a fervent, powerful sword. And that's what it's talking about. So it's each one creates a new image. And guys, you could take each one of these images and each one of these understandings, you could take them and you could just dive into that one understanding, dive into one of those things. We kind of gloss over them right now, but there's so much that can be understood. Um, and his face was shining like the brightness of the sun. Uh, and you can read Psalms 84, Matthew 17, and John 8, 12. When I saw him, this is talking about John, when I saw him, I fell down at his feet, good as dead. <laughs> but he laid his right hand on me, and I heard this mess, and, re and I heard his reassuring voice saying, I want to, right before we go into what he's actually saying, he says, I saw him. So this is John, who was with Jesus, laid his head on Jesus' chest, all these wonderful things. But then when he sees Jesus now, he literally goes, oh my gosh, and he falls before him dead. Like, holy cow, this is the ancient of days. This is, 
He was, it was an incredible, incredible, powerful experience for him, right? And, he, and, and what's funny is, did you catch it? It says that he had seven stars in his right hand, which a right hand is a symbol of authority and of power. It always is. And so he has these seven stars in his right hand. And then when he falls down dead, he places his right hand on John. So again, it's kind of like, you know, if you're taking this as a literal thing, what do you do with the stars? You know, put it in his back pocket. You know, I don't know. You know what I mean? I'm just saying is that it's an emblem of you have these seven stars of the authority and the power of that they are held in his hands. And then he lays his right hand, his power and his authority on John and goes, listen to me. Right. And so this is I heard this uh, reassuring voice saying, don't yield to fear. I am the beginning and the end, the living one. I was dead, but now look, I am alive forever and ever. And I hold the keys that unlock death and the unseen world. I now want you to write what you have seen, what is and what will be after this things. That I reveal to you the mystery of the lampstands and the seven stars is this. The lampstands are the seven churches and the seven stars in my right hand, right hand are the seven messengers of the seven churches. So a lot of that you can just really get into. That whole thing, there's a lot to it. Don't yield to fear. You know, he's the beginning and the end. All those things are really interesting. But I want to say is at the very end, he says, and the seven stars in my right hand, right hand are the seven messengers of the seven churches. Your Bibles will probably say angels, right? So when translators take that, they go, okay, there, there's the seven angels. They, the word was messengers, but they went, well, it's probably angels. And so they interpret it as angels. But the only problem with this is, is why do angels need a book? Like, angels and them, they communicate. They got their own language. They got their own stuff. They do their own things. Why does John need to write an angel a book to give to the people? It doesn't, it doesn't actually make a lot of sense. Your Bible will say angels, but when, when, when Simmons was going through here, he's like, no, it's messengers. That's the word. It, it doesn't need to be angel because it's not an angel. He says it's probably the leadership of that church or the messenger to that actual church. In that congregation, there is a messenger or a leader in that church. And you give them this letter, and it will be their job to take it and bring it to the church. So that, and that kind of makes a big difference, angel or, or messenger. But a lot of people are like, oh, well, that's probably just, you know, that's probably just an angel. And so it, it's actually messenger. So there's the, the messengers, or I, um, the messengers of the church that are a star in the right hand of Jesus. He actually is going to go, if they're the messengers to this body of people, then I'm going to hold you in my right hand. He, I mean, that all points, it all just create, uh, creates a, a beautiful picture of these are the people that are ministering to my churches, and I'm going to hold them in my power and my authority, and, and they're important to me. And then I'm going to walk among my churches and I'm going to minister to them. So it's painting this picture of the loving process in which Jesus ministers to his people. 
And that actually ends chapter 2, which, I mean, chapter breaks aren't really in it. It would have just been one solid letter. And it goes on to actually uh, going through each letter to the churches. I don't know what time it is. I don't know how long we... Where are we at? Oh, we're about it. Done. That's a good stopping point. But, so I'll kind of just... So he goes on. <clears throat> we'll get into the letters to the churches. You'll kind of see how Jesus deals with people. Uh, he kind of puts all um, criticism, or not criticism, but all uh, correction in a love sandwich. He always goes, this is what I really like about you. This is kind of a problem you got, but this is what I really like about you. Or this is what I really like about you, and this is my problem. But this is a, And like with each one of these letters, one of the gifts that he gives to his people is a revelation of himself. Like, the way Jesus gifts you things is actually revealing more of himself to you. Like, with each church, he goes, I love you guys so much, you do this so good. Uh, you got a problem here. You might want to, you know, that needs to be taken care of. But this is what I am, and I, I you know, I love you and all this stuff like that. And so he kind of puts it in a love sandwich. And the, the seven letters, there's different understandings. You know, there's what it meant for them in that context, what it can mean for us today, because seven is the number of completion in the seven churches. I think it's more than just seven churches in Turkey, but it's actually, it is the full, seven is completion. So it's the full completion of the body of Christ, and it applies to us today, right? Every word in the Bible should apply to you somehow. And so what it applies to us today, what it speaks to us, what it spoke to them, and uh, what it can mean to you individually, and there's one other to understand which is interesting. It's an interesting uh, kind of theory. We probably won't talk about it a lot just because it's, it's kind of separate, but it's the, the interpretation that each letter is actually a symbol of the uh, seven periods of time in the church age. It's kind of interesting. It follows along pretty good that each letter is actually the, like the different church ages that we have gone through. I think we're in like six or something like that, if I, if I remember correctly. Five or six. But anyways, that's just kind of a side note. So, we covered a lot. <laughs> There's a lot there. But it's, it's all just revealing the beauty of Jesus. And I know maybe as we go through it, you're going, okay, yeah, this is really good. This, but I don't know how it works with this. And I don't know about this. And I, I, I know we'll get there. We'll, we'll, get, we'll get to all the different things. We'll get to what it means. We'll get there. Just be patient. And, and a lot of times it's hard to, you know, it's hard to translate the metric system with the U.S. system. And you're like trying to make it all work. And I'm like, you know what, just, just maybe stop trying to join the two things together and just let it happen. <laughs> but this is all created not to make us smarter, Right? It's not just to make us smarter. It's not just to make us, oh, a little more brainiac-ish people. But it's actually created to bring us into a closer relationship with him. It's actually created to actually bring us into a place that we fall deeper in love with him. And it's actually created to reveal to us who we are in him. And that's why it's so exciting. We get to see ourselves later on here. We get to see the rainbow around the throne. We get to see the different creatures around the throne. We get to see these things. We get to find out where the throne is. And you, little side note, if Jesus 
is seated at the right hand of the Father at the, on the throne, right? But he says that I live inside of you now. I have made my home inside of you. So if Jesus is seated on the throne, but he's inside of you, then where's the throne? And so... <laughs> And so when you go into the throne room on the sea of glass, we've created it billions of miles away somewhere in space or in another realm or whatever. And what if it's all happening inside of you? So it's all pretty exciting. And, it, and, it, and as you go throughout your week, you're like, oh, my gosh, all of heaven and the throne is inside of me. So instead of me trying to be empowered by Jesus, send some electricity down. Instead, it's like, all right. The kingdom's coming out of me right now, right? The throne room's happening inside of me right now, right? So it's going to transform the way we see ourselves and the way we see Jesus. And so it's beautiful. And uh, wow, God is so good. It is. It's totally different identity. Because here... You're right, because the problem is, the picture that Revelation paints is, well, Christians are basically useless, so I'll suck them out of there real quick, except for, a whor- uh, except for 144,000 of those suckers, <laughs> you know? And, and I'm going to suck the rest out of there, if you believe in that. If not, whatever. None of it's actually in the Bible, but, you know, I'll suck them out of there and blah, 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 and then because it's just so terrible, I'll come back and I'll take care of it. That's what Jesus says. But in reality, he's going, oh my gosh, you're created to be kings and priests. And he says, and he tells one of the churches, I'll give you nations to disciple. He says, I actually want you to disciple nations. I actually want you to be kings over cities. I actually want you to be a priest to this place, this planet that you're created on. You're created to rule and reign as I am in heaven, ruling and reigning, and you're created in my image. He's not coming back because the world gets so dang bad and there's nothing you can do about it. He comes back because, holy cow, my bride is there and ready, and I'm ready to go marry her. They have come into my identity. They have come into my fullness. And truthfully, we are a long ways from that. I mean, there are certain promises There are promises that say, you know, all of Israel's got to be converted and the whole world's got to hear the gospel. And I go, what? You know what? Is the gospel, half of the world hadn't even heard the gospel because if the gospel is just get me to heaven, then we're missing it. Because it's not just get me to heaven, it's get heaven into me and that heaven would come to earth. Right? Heaven's supposed to come to earth. So are we even preaching the gospel by just trying to get people to suck up to heaven? Let's just get them, let's just get them saved and then chop their head off and we'd be doing great. We'd have Jesus here in no time. Right? (laughs) But in reality, if it's that thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven, then the gospel has to be preached in the correct manner. And the world needs to see that gospel. That's what's bringing Jesus back. He says, and you know what? In Peter, or is it Second Peter, that it says, dude, we get to control when Jesus comes back because it's determined on what happens in us. Right? So it's not just going to get so bad that Jesus... All right, it promises that things are going to be bad. Cool, it's always been bad. But it promises that things are going to be incredibly cool and exciting. Then that's what I'm going for. I mean, it's always been bad. But it hadn't always been good. But he says, oh, it's going to get awesome there at the end. Because you guys are going to be legit. Right? (laughs) That's what he's saying. That's what I'm coming back for. 
And, and I, I'm, I think we're not even getting there yet. I'm going, dude, the women in the church aren't even rising up into their full position. I don't think the church is ready. I don't think the bride is ready because our brides haven't been become, created in what they're supposed to be. They're supposed to be greater. They're supposed to do greater works. They're supposed to be more amazing. And that is why I'm like, we're so far from it. Get off your rapture rug. Get out of your millennium mumbo jumbo, right? Because millennium, it, it, let's stop putting all the good stuff in the millennium and let's bring it to today. The millennium was created for people that didn't believe God could do anything in their own life. So they put it in a different life. They put it in the millennium. Right? Why would, if Jesus is inside of us, why would he want to suck us out of this place? He put himself in this world so that he could transform the world. So why would he rapture us out? Anyway, so, oh, Jesus, let's give him a moment. Let's stand to our feet.